0: This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. We're going to be talking this evening just on God and suffering, or St. Thomas' understanding of suffering and evil. How could God allow evil, for instance? The first thing to say about this is that for St. Thomas, this is not a very vexing question. I mean, for us moderns, it's a very difficult question, but for, for the medievals, this wasn't that, it didn't cause an existential crisis in their faith, that there was such a thing as suffering and evil in the world. Um, and while it, while it's addressed in scripture, you get the sense that the authors of, the, the human authors, the sacred authors of, of scripture, didn't find it especially problematic either. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, for instance, it's just understood and accepted that God inflicts suffering on people, the Israelites especially, when they're not faithful to him and when they're in their sin. Uh, God answers the Job, who the Bible says is a righteous man who suffers greatly. Um, when Job finally snaps, if you will, and questions God about his suffering, God's response is, who are you? Who are you to ask me these questions? Did you Hang the stars in the sky? Did you put the earth on its pillars? It was simply accepted that somehow God was involved in suffering, either as a cause of suffering or permitting suffering or uh, the good news in Jesus Christ accepting suffering in his own person, in his own humanity. I tend to think we're more aggravated by the uh, question of suffering and God's role in suffering Because in the modern age, we've sort of as Christians and those who are believers tend to want to keep God innocent of anything that happens bad because he's such a good God. Uh, We need to keep him out of such horrible things like tornadoes or cancer or, or sin and violence. God doesn't want anything to do with that. He can't be involved in any of it. The argument is usually presented that Evil should not exist if there, if God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, and especially all-loving deity. Now, the typical defense of God in this sort of view is a sort of argument that's come to be known as the free will defense. Okay. That God created human beings with free will. And that means, therefore, that we have a free choice. And free choice implies not only the ability to choose good but also the ability to sin or to choose evil otherwise it would not be free will and so the free will defense of god's role if you will in suffering and evil usually turns in the fact that well he gave human beings free will sometimes they screw it up and they use it poorly and uh, that's what causes evil god's free of that and if he didn't if he did if he didn't allow us to choose evil then he shouldn't he wouldn't it's not free will Now, I want to state right up front that not only is St. Thomas not vexed by this question and the problem of evil, he also doesn't employ that defense. That's not the Thomistic defense of God. His view is much more nuanced than that. This evening, um, I'm going to go through about four points, really three, uh, to help us think through God and suffering all through uh, St. Thomas's lens or his, his, her, his, his view of things. First, we're going to talk about God as creator and cause. Then we'll talk about what evil is for St. Thomas. And then the distinction in St. Thomas between evil that is suffered, malum Pene, and evil that is done, malum kulpe. And then finally, and this would be a whole other talk in its own, I'll give you some final thoughts just to think about some things on freedom and the human person. So first, God is creator and cause. A lot of this, I always like to say at these Thomistic Institute lectures, you know, we only have 40 45 minutes together, so some we're just skipping stones across the pond here, right? Um, remember that for Aquinas, God is ipsum esse subsistens, which is to say God for St. Thomas is being itself. He's existence itself. He's not a being. He's not even the supreme being. He's more than that. He is being itself for St. Thomas. He is the very act of existence, okay? Um, Being, the word being in English, B-E-I-N-G, is a gerund. It's an I-N-G word, running, walking, sleeping, right? Implies an activity. So for St. Thomas and for all of the medievals and the scholastics, Even going back to Aristotle, the act of existence is an act of doing something. It's an act of existing. Every being, the noun, is engaged in the act of existing being. Just like every runner, when a runner is running, is engaged in the act of running. So for St. Thomas, God is that very activity. He is a very activity of existence. So, he often uses the analogy of, um, say, a, a pan or a pot and fire, right? That fire is the very act of burning. There is no, burning is not separate from fire. And so when you put a pan on the fire, the pan begins to burn. It begins to heat up. It's the same is true for existence in God. God is not separate from existence. He is existing just like fire is burning, whatever burning is. Just as the pan is heated by participation in the fire, so we are existing by our participation in God. All things that exist, exist by participation in the act of existence, which is God himself. So for St. Thomas, it's, it's, it's a very basic principle That God is in all things. He says that God is in all things. This is not a pantheism, though. Not as part of their essence, nor as an accident, something that could be taken away or put back, but as an agent is present to that upon which it works, the fire working on the pan. For an agent must be joined to that wherein it acts immediately and touch it by its power. The pan is touched and joined to the fire, the fire touches the pan, that the thing moved and the mover must be joined together, the pan being heated, and the fire that is burning are joined. This is some of the most important part here. Since God is very being by his own essence, created being, you, me, birds, atoms, chairs, everything else, angels, demons, are the proper effect His proper effect, just as to ignite or to burn is the proper effect of fire. Now, God causes this effect in things, not only when they first begin to be, but as long as they are preserved in being. If I take the pan away from the fire, it is no longer going to be heated. It ceases to be heated. It ceases to be hot. If any created being is taken apart away from God's presence and his his act, it ceases to exist. There is nothing that exists that God does not impinge upon and is not acting on, even the demons of hell. As light is caused in the air by the sun as long as the air remains illuminated. Therefore, as long as a thing has being, God must be present to it according to its mode of being. But being is innermost in each thing and most fundamentally inherent in all things. Since it is formal in respect of everything found in a thing, there's nothing more basic about anything that exists but the fact that it exists. Every other definition and characteristic flows from that. It's a person. It's a dog. It has four legs. It's a, it's a golden doodle. Well, it's not, none of, it's not any of those things unless it first exists. That's its most basic characteristic of anything. Some of this is obvious, right? We just, just have to sort of say it. Hence, it must be that God is in all things and innermostly. This is a, a, it, an interesting, so you see, this shows a radical difference between St. Thomas's worldview and sort of our contemporary worldview. We tend to see God as other and us down here so that there's a separation. St. Thomas doesn't see that. So it's not that all things, um, that God is in all things, but not as in pantheism. Elsewhere, St. Thomas speaks of rather all things are in God, participating in his existence. Interestingly, he also speaks about this in relationship to the body and soul. After Descartes, we tend to see the soul as something that's in the body, if you're a believer. That's not St. Thomas's view. The body is actually within the soul. It's the other way around. The material is within the spiritual. Right? Now, this has tremendous consequences, It means that God is at all times actively conferring existence on everything that exists at every moment. Everything that exists is at all times participating in his existence. He is present to everything from the smallest subatomic subatomic particle to the highest angel by his own essence of the fact that he is existence itself. So speaking of God as existence itself, This means that God is not one cause among many. Even though Aquinas, following Aristotle, calls him uh, the unmoved mover or the prime mover, which is to say he's the first in the chain of all causes, rather, it's better to think of him that he is the cause of all causality. Because anything that is causing anything, anything that is doing anything, is held in existence by him at this very moment. He is the cause of all causality. Um, I mean, think of causality. I mean, I don't know, you know, you think that how one cause, one thing affects another thing, and then it goes on and on, and you can think of chains of causality, a nexus of causality, if you will, Uh, electrons revolving around protons and neutrons to environmental currents to, to the free choices that you and I make. It's better to think of God, I mean, yes, he is the prime mover of all of those chains and all of those links, the first mover and the unmoved mover, but he's also the very thing that holds that nexus in, in existence. He's the is, He is the existence of that causality itself. All of these causes have further effects which lead to further effects and consequences. So, so God is the cause of causality first as the unmoved mover, as the first cause of all causes, but also he's holding, and he's holding up the causality. But also, not only is he holding up causality in St. Thomas's view, following Aristotle, he is also what St. Aristotle would call, what St. Thomas builds on. He is also the, what we might call the formal cause, because he's who cre- he's what creates uh, everything to be and to act in a certain way. So he is the formal cause of, of geese. And therefore, the formal cause of the fact that they fly south for the winter, even as he holds them in existence. Now, for Aquinas, God is not playing chess with the creatures of the universe. This is an important, this is a, this is a very facile uh, argument people will sometimes make. Well, if he's the cause of everything, that means he's just moving pieces around and we're all just kind of robots and autonomous. He's bigger than that. And he doesn't need to be that. Right. He's not actively making electrons revolve around protons and neutrons. He's not actively making geese fly south. He's not actively making you and me to choose this or that. Rather, as formal craws, he's created all things for their own purposes and for their own fulfillment, what they're supposed to do, what gives them order. Electrons rotate around, revolve around protons and neutrons and he holds them in existence. It would be beneath him and less than perfect if he created things to act in a certain way and then he himself still had to kind of every time push a button to get them to do what he created them to do, right? So for Aquinas, you have to, when you think about God and cause and effect, you got to realize that he, God is kind of outside of our normal, normal ways we think about cause and effect. He's the meta. Of cause and effect, um, he's the cause of all causes and the cause of all causality. Now, as believers, we can also say this: He gains no fulfillment from being this. God is not perfected in any way. He did not need to do this. This is this is the Christian belief. I mean, this is a, this is fodder for good prayer and thinking. God didn't need to create you. Sometimes people, you know, say. People think, well, God needed us, created us so that He could love us, and so that we could adore Him. And He's not on an ego trip, right? He doesn't need to love you. He doesn't need you to love Him. All right. Yes, we're created to love Him, but that's our purpose, and it, because there's a good in loving Him. That's a later conversation, perhaps. So this notion then touches on various what we might call qualities when we speak of God having. God is good, He is true, He is lovely, He is beautiful, He is one. The thing is when we use those words, we have to understand that those words being true, being lovely, being beautiful, we're using them and that they have meaning those words only in reference to our own perspective as creatures and what we what we think is lovely, beautiful, and one and good. But that God, because He is existence itself, whatever loveliness is, that is what He is. Everything else is lovely or true or good or beautiful in as much as it's participating in His goodness, loveliness, because He is existence itself. So we only exist in as much as we participate in His existence. And the less we participate in His existence, and this is, I'm probably previewing a little bit too much towards the end of our time together, but. Yes, we all exist. You can't erase yourself from existence. Even when you die, something still exists. You know, your, your, your bones. I mean, there's no removing things absolutely from existence. But there is a way we don't exist as fully as we should. Right. And the whole point of the life, the moral life, is to exist more and more fully which is to say grow, to grow more and more lovely, more and more good, more and more truth, more and more in participation in God's own life in his own existence. So we do not say that God is good because he falls into some abstract notion of goodness. We don't say he is true because he falls into some theoretical definition of truth or beauty and everything else. Rather, for St. Thomas, God is the very meaning of goodness, truth, and beauty. And anytime we use those words in our life or about created things, we understand that he's the exemplar and everything else is a sort of an analogy to what it means in him. Goodness for Aquinas is synonymous with existence. This is a sort of Aristotelian point that he borrows from Aristotle, because to exist is good. So at some basic level for Aquinas, everything that is existing, everything that exists is good in as much as it exists as it should, which is to say in as much as it exists, not only that God is holding an existence and he is goodness, so therefore it has to be, there has to be some goodness in everything that exists. But also there's a level of goodness, you might say, in as much as it continues to be or grow into the form, into what he created it to be. So in as much as an electric does what electron does, what it's supposed to do, not only is it good in as much as it exists, but it's a perfect electron. I don't think there are such things. I don't I'm not a scientist and there might be such thing as an imperfect electron. I don't know. Um But, you know, a goose that doesn't fly, that gets lost from its flock and forgets the uh, pattern and doesn't know how to fly south is is still a good goose, but it's not as perfect as the geese that actually do what geese are supposed to do, which is fly south, right? Um, So for St. Thomas, this is an important point. You need to know what a thing is before you can know whether or not it is more or less perfect, You need to know what a thing is and how it exists and therefore what its purpose is, which is to say what is its attraction or what is its goal for existence, like going around protons and neutrons, um, before you can determine whether it is more or less perfect than another instance of the same thing. So basic goodness is existence, but increasing goodness Our goodness increases the more a creative being achieves that which is in accord with what it was created to be, with its nature. This word we might use. So the more human you are, the more good you become. This is a very foreign concept in the modern world, right? That there could be such a thing, I could be less human or more human, right? But we still believe it, you know? I mean, if you have someone... I mean, usually you have to use some radical example. I mean, you could say someone who commits some heinous, violent crime is acting less than humanly, is acting more like an animal, deserves punishment, while still recognizing that that person is still a human and has a basic existence and a basic dignity, even though they've acted more irrationally, right? So the more human you are, the more good you you become, the more perfect you become, which is to say you can actually increase in your being, in your existence, right? The more you learn, for, exist- example, for example, I mean, a human being has a mind to learn. So the more knowledge you have, the more you're fulfilling what it means to be human. The more good a creature is, the more it's participating in God's being. That goes not only for ways that I can kind of grow as a human person, but also it, it means there, there are, in fact, categorical differences between creatures I, 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 I saw the Discovery Channel the other day and they've discovered some you know they're always finding new species of things in the ocean and they discovered off the coast of New Zealand or Australia in the deep ocean some weird-looking lobster. and this thing is weird it looks weird it looks like a weird large lobster that has hair all over it you're more good than that thing I think is good but you have more perfections, right? For instance, you're not living in the uh, deep ocean with hair all over you and claws, and you can actually think and read books and learn things. That's more good. That's more existence. You're participating more in God's existence than the lobster is. God loves you, therefore, more than he loves the hairy lobster or whatever the thing is, right? Now, here's an interesting thing about this for St. Thomas. and When God, the more we participate in God's existence... The more actually good we are, beautiful we are, the more lovely we are. Here's what he says. God's will is the cause of all things. It must be, therefore, that a thing has, oops, sorry, didn't mean to do that. A thing has existence or any kind of good only in as much as it is willed by God. To every existing thing, then God wills, typo there, wills some good. Hence, since to love anything is nothing else than to will the good to that thing, it is manifest that God loves everything that exists. Because that's what love is for St. Thomas. It's willing the good of the thing you love, the person you love. Yet, not as we love. This is an important distinction, which I love in St. Thomas. Because since our will is not the cause of goodness of things, But rather, goodness calls forth our love. That's why we love the people we do. We love the things we do. You love a pizza because it's a good pizza. That's why you don't get bad pizza. You love a person because you recognize some good in that person. And sometimes it's various goods. Sometimes it's goods, but then you also see this person has weaknesses and can be a real bear when they haven't had coffee in the morning. Not good at that time. But you recognize that there's some real goodness in them, nonetheless. So, the human person for St. Thomas is attracted to goodness. In fact, that's what our will is always wanting. More good, more perfection, more existence, wherever I can find it, whether, and obviously there are levels here, whether it's in a great pizza or in a spouse or in children or in the study of biology, the study of philosophy, economics, whatever you all are majoring in. You love it. I hope you love it. You don't study it if you don't love it, right? Because that's, that's like death for studies, all right? especially if you're going to do a dissertation. you got to love what you're going to write your dissertation on because you're going to be living with it for years. Right. See, God's love is different. See, we our love, we love things because there's good, we, we identify goodness in it, whereas the love of God infuses and creates goodness in others. Isn't that kind of amazing? God's love bestows goodness, which is to say bestows existence. Now, This means several things, right? It means um, that God doesn't love us because we're inherently lovable or good, but it's because God loves us that we're inherently lovable or good. God is always first. His action is always first and primary for St. Thomas. God doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he is good. And his goodness then goes into you as he loves you. Which therefore means, based on the hairy lobster, God loves you more than the hairy lobster. Because he's given you more existence, more goodness, more perfection than he's given the hairy lobster. An interesting question, which I'm not going to give you the answer to, but... Does he love some people more than others? Are some people more perfect or better than others because God loves them more? Let you you sit with that for a little while, right? We don't like to think about God playing favorites. Now, what is evil and what it isn't for St. Thomas? If existence is God, for Saint Thomas, God is the very act of existence and goodness is exist, and God is good, existence is good. For Saint Thomas, then, and he's not alone, and this is kind of the classic Catholic tradition here: evil does not exist as a thing; it's an absence; it's a vacuum. All right, the Christian religion is not a, du- a dualism; it's not; a, it's not. For the Christian religion, it's not uh, yin and yang, good and evil in some sort of cosmic battle. There is just goodness. Evil is the lack of goodness. It's a deficiency. It's a parasite where goodness should be. Okay. I mean, unlike the, Judeo- the Judeo-Christian religion, for instance, I mean, you look back at all the other religions of mankind Judaism is really the first, and Christian following it, in which the fundamental creation myth is not an act of violence or a battle. Creation doesn't come forth from an act of violence or battle. It's spoken into existence from a peaceful and loving God who proclaims that it is good, right? So for St. Thomas, everything that exists is in fact good. Evil... That doesn't mean evil is an illusion for St. Thomas. Evil is real for St. Thomas. It's not an illusion. But it is also not an entity, a positive thing. Even Satan is not sort of even though we might say poetically he's the personification of evil, his existence is still good. Because he still part- he exists because he participates in God's existence. Right? It's an absence. It means uh, evil for St. Thomas is an absence of good that ought to be there or existence that ought to be there. It's a deficiency of existence. So the example I gave earlier, you know, when you have like a serial killer, somebody who treats innocent life very cavalierly, um, brutally murdering someone, that's the evil. That's just, there's a deficiency in that own person's humanity, in that own person's existence. That killer is not existing as he should be existing, fully alive, fully human. That's the evil. Evil is in the gap between where something is and where, I don't even want to say where it should be because none of us are where we should be in life, right? It's the gap of what ought to be there by the fact that you're created, participating in God's existence and what you are, it's a good that ought to be present and there is some deficiency, Hopefully, this all we'll be able to suss this out as we move forward here. So St. Thomas says that evil is only known because of the nature of good. Since every nature desire its own desires its own existence, its own being and its own perfection, it must be said also that the being and the perfection of any nature is good. Hence it cannot be that evil signifies being or existence or any form of nature. Therefore, it must be said that the name evil signifies a certain absence of good. We're going to talk about what that certain absence is. Evil, one way to think about it then is evil is the lack. I had to define evil for St. Thomas. This is how I would define it. Evil is the lack or the deficiency of a goodness or some good that a a created being ought to have. For an example, a baby is born without an arm. Not having an arm is an evil for St. Thomas because a human baby should have two arms. That is a good, that's part of the definition of being human. Two arms, two legs, two eyes. Not to have an arm is an evil for St. Thomas. A goose, the goose not flying south, is a certain evil for St. Thomas. But Not having a million dollars in your pocket while disappointing is not an evil. Because having a million dollars is not part of the definition of what it means to be human. Now, I've basically, up till now, have been speaking of evil sort of in two ways. What we might call physical evil, or otherwise known as evil suffered, malampane, a baby born without an arm, and what we might call moral evil or evil done, malum culpe, the murderer, the murderer, you know, brutally killing someone. So for St. Thomas, there are two types, two ways of thinking, two types of evil, but both fall under the definition of some deficiency of a good that ought to be there, right? Evil suffered. This is malum peine. Some people, historically, after Thomas, would call this physical evil or a natural evil. Uh, this is the evil of a baby born, being born without one arm. This is the evil of cancer. This is the evil of tornadoes. Okay, um, It's the evil that's usually caused by another agent, another creature, that is doing what it should the ecosystem works the way it does. Sometimes that creates tornadoes. And sometimes we are in the way of those tornadoes. Right? A lamb gets eaten by a lion. This is St. Thomas's classic example. Evil suffered for the lamb, but it's what a lion does. It's good for the lion. For Aquinas... Evil suffered or Malum Pene is, is the is easy to explain for him. It's that God has willed to create a world of material substances. And when some of those substances flourish, other substances will suffer. When a lion flourishes, the lamb, some lambs are going to get eaten. So, in this perspective, for St. Thomas, physical evil or evil suffered is a matter of perspective. It's true for the lambs and the lions, just as much as it is true, I hate to say this, after two years, of pieces that turn into a virus and human beings. Those things, whatever, I'm not a biologist or an epidemiologist or, you know, but whatever those things, those proteins and things that turn into a virus, they're just doing what they do. That's what they do. Getting a cold, or COVID as the case may be, is an evil suffered, but it's a virus flourishing. Being good in what it does. Now, I'm not a scientist, and so if you push me on this, I'm not going to have great answers, but um, you might ask questions like cancer. Well, how can, can what I mean, what's flourishing when someone gets cancer? Well, even then for St. Thomas, he would acknowledge something like cancer is still a, a physical evil because most, can- I mean, I, I know there are different causes for different kinds of cancers, but a lot of cancers are caused by some deficiency of something actually not doing what it should be doing. Like some cell not dividing the way it should be dividing. And that was probably caused by something else doing what it should be doing and interfering with that, some protein or something, Right. Physical evil means usually that some other creature in the nexus of causality that I talked about is actually flourishing, existing and becoming more good according to what it is. Now, it's important to say, because I've been using the word evil, evil suffered has no moral quality to it for St. Thomas. The baby born without an arm is not an evil child. It's an evil that the baby is suffering. Now, the question that inevitably is asked, well, why couldn't God create a world in which lions don't eat lambs? Well, Aquinas thinks, I'm going to read, I don't have a slide for this and I'll read what 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 he says on this, but he thinks that certainly God can do anything, but God doesn't do or can't do stupid things. It's my words, not his. He doesn't use the word stupid, all right? He'll say foolish. Um, God is always rational. Can God, you know, can God make a rock he can't lift? It's a stupid question. You know, I mean, kindness wouldn't ask this question. Can God make a circle, a squared circle? Well, a squared circle is no longer a circle. It's a square. But that's kind of the point, right? Um, God is truth and he abides by Truthfulness. He doesn't do illogical things or things that are absurdities, truthful absurdities. So yes, he could have made a world without any physical evils, but it would have been a world without any material creatures. Because matter, by, by the way, by the definition of what matter is, it, it denigrates, it deteriorates. It would have been a world without material things. It would have been a world without the complexity and diversity of creatures that we have in this world. It would have been a very boring world, in other words. He could have created a world of pure spirits or a world in which nothing ever changes, but it would not have been our world. That's really Aquinas' position on this. Here's what he says in just a couple sentences. He says, many good things would be taken away if God permitted no evil to exist. Like fire, fire. Would not be generated if air couldn't be corrupted by fire, which is an evil for air, St. Thomas. Nor would the life of a lion be preserved unless the ass were killed. You wouldn't have lions, or they wouldn't be, they'd be other creatures. They wouldn't be what we know as lions. Now, it's important to say here, that even though uh, he's holding up this whole nexus of causality and all these things in existence, he does not create the evils. This is the point. you got to get this point. God does not create the, these evil lions. Or he creates evil lions. He doesn't create the evil that they do. He creates good creatures that do what creatures do. And in the nexus of causality created of created material creatures It means that there is always a a loss-gain relationship among the creatures, always. He does not will the evil in this case. He wills and chooses for all creatures to pursue their flourishing, to pursue their full existence, their full goodness. And that means some other creatures won't. Now, evil done which is the more the one we struggle with right this is moral evil this is evil people do so this is this evil is unique to rational creatures basically to to anything that has free choice human beings angels demons the fact that we make choices Given free choice, we are we are given the power to make choices about our goals, where we're going to find our flourishing, where we want to find our destinies, where we will pursue, what we will pursue, and what we think will make us flourish and more perfect. And the fact is, that can go wrong in a lot of ways. You know, this is why first dates are never off the lot, first dates don't become second dates. You, You went, thought it was going to be great. Flourishing, not so good, all right? Not calling him back or not calling her back, right? We're always, for St. Thomas, we're always pursuing perfection and goodness, but we always don't, we either don't know the right, sometimes we don't know the right way to do it, and sometimes we're actually wrong about what we think is perfection or goodness and flourishing, right? It's always best if you find that out earlier as you're pursuing it, not spend years pursuing something, you know, I'm gonna put in my plug here, which I always put in with young people. Don't spend like six years dating somebody. All right. If you don't know after one or two years, it ain't going to happen. All right. Don't waste, don't keep going down the line towards flourishing with someone. If it ain't happening, that means it's a mistake. It's not always rightly ordered. We're always pursuing goodness and perfection, but it's not always rightly ordered. And for St. Thomas, this is usually because of three things. Either we're ignorant or we're wrong about what we're pursuing or how we're pursuing it. Well, we're ignorant about what, what we're pursuing. We're in error about it or malice, which is we've just become kind of corrupt or malicious. So God creates us with free choice. He does see it as a good we should have. I'm still not going to go into the free will defense. Thomas, that's not what Thomas, there's a, there's a nuance here. But God And God doesn't interfere normally or prevent us from using and being the people, the creatures he created us to be, which is creatures with free choice. He doesn't sort of intervene in our choices, usually. He respects the creatures he created. Now, why is that not the free will defense I shot down earlier? For St. Thomas, God certainly is implicated. I want to be careful how I say this, but God is certainly implicated in moral evil because he's keeping the creature that does evil in existence. You do an evil thing, no matter how evil, it's not like you just zap and return to nothingness. He he keeps evil people in existence. Now, he sustains even the demons in existence. Now, there's a positive aspect to this, the fact that the creature exists and that rational creatures have choice. But for St. Thomas, that's what God is willing, the goodness of that that the creature exists. He He doesn't make the creature choose evil. And that's kind of the difference for St. Thomas. Evil for evil done or malum culpe for St. Thomas is a deficiency in choice. Remember, absence of what should be there. Evil is a choice that lacks the fullness of goodness that should be present in every human choice. Every human choice. Right? Yeah, let me put this up here. Evil, he says, comes from, it's a typo there, comes from the withdrawal of the form and integrity of the thing that comes from, evil each, blah, 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 blah. Evil, which comes from the withdrawal of the form and integrity of the thing has the nature of a pain. Evil suffered or Penne, losing your eyeball or whatever. It is of the very nature of a pain to be against the will. No one wants to feel pain. In fact, when we choose to feel pain, it's usually because we know we have to feel pain and for a greater good right but the evil c- consists in the subtraction of the, the evil that consists in the subtraction of the due operation in voluntary things has the nature of fault malum colpe for this is imputed to anyone as a fault to fail as regard perfect action of which he is a master by the will so if i if i'm pursuing the thing that is actually contrary to my nature if I'm choosing the wrong means to pursue something that is with my nature. So for ex- instance, you know, let's say I'm, you see me in the dining hall tomorrow morning. Um, you, you get closer to my table. I, Jay Budaszewski was here at the last lecture. Is that right? This is an example he often uses, which I love. So you see me um, sitting at a table for breakfast. And as you get closer, I'm got, I got my spoon. I poured some milk in. You think it's here. You, you get closer. And uh, as you come to the table to greet me, hey, Father, it was a great lecture last night. You see that my table, it, my, my bowl is full of um, iron nails, which I'm going to eat. I poured, Father, what are you doing with this? And I say to you, I, my doctor says I need more iron in my diet, right? This is a stupid example, but it gets the point across, right? You see the good here that I'm pursuing, my flourishing is I need more iron in my diet the means by which I'm doing it is evil because that's not according to my, it's not in the human nature to eat iron nails, right? In fact, it's gonna kill me if I do this. I am not, not only am I not gonna get more iron in my diet, I'm going to die. So if you see me doing that, stop me, right? But the same is true in all sorts of other things. I mean, relationships, right? You can, like for instance, I love this person, I want this person to flourish, but then I have ideas about how they should flourish. And I start to pressure them that they should flourish the way I want them to flourish. You see how that can be an evil done. Like the good that I'm doing, but the choices I'm making, the means to that that love, to expressing that love in their flourishing is in fact the wrong means. And then, because sometimes it's at the end point. Sometimes it's, um, uh, you know, I want to use this person for my own satisfaction. That's like the problematic end point. And then, then that makes even all the means, all the choices I make problematic. Evil, deficient. I'm not acting in a fully human way. It's like eating nail, iron nails. So, God is somewhat implicated in evil then, but not as cause, as simply creating and sustaining creatures uh, that perpetuate evil. Yes, he's maintaining the nexus. Could he have, in this point, could he have created a world without evil done? Yes, but then it would be a world without, uh, without creatures like us. It's not that God, and this is why I hate when people say God permits evil. I know I've used that language. It's not that God permits evil so that good may come of it. He wills only the good. All right. He moves everything according to the nature he's given them. So, there, so this is my final uh, quote I'm giving you tonight. But this is from the, his disputed questions on evil, which he wrote right towards the end of his life, right when he was writing the Summa. He says, we need to say that God, since he is the first source of the movement of everything, moves certain things in such a way that they also move their very selves. So unlike electronic electrons that just move, do what they do, we actually can move ourselves. We can choose what we're going to pursue and how we're going to act. And if those with free choice be properly disposed and rightly ordered, that's, those are important, to receive movement by God, good acts will result. And we completely... Trace these acts to him as their cause. But if those with free choice should defect from the requisite order of your nature, disordered acts that are acts of sin result. And so we trace what regards the activity of those with the power of free choice to God as the cause, while only free choice, not God, causes what regards the disorder or or deformity of those with the power of choice, and that is why we say that acts of sin come from God, but that sin does not, which is to say the activity comes from God, but the disorder comes from us when we, when we screw up what we're supposed to be doing and what we're created to do. Okay. I know I've gone long here, so let me uh, just say a couple things. This is different than the free will defense, the free will, the modern conception of freedom, If I would say if you don't remember anything from this talk, if you can remember this, I, I would feel very satisfied and gratified. The modern conception of freedom is that freedom is the power to do this or to do that. It's simply the power of choosing this or that, right? And that we're sort of neutral. That freedom is neutral. That's not the classic sense of freedom. It's not the Christian sense of freedom. It's not the Catholic sense of freedom. We don't see free will or free choice as simply the power to choose A or B. All creatures electrons, protons, neutrons, geese, dogs, planets, stars, gases, grubworms, human beings, angels are in fact created and ordered to perfection, to perfect goodness and perfect existence, which is God himself. All creatures are ordered to God himself. We're different than all of those others because we have the power of choice, which means we can know that we're ordered to God and goodness and perfection. And then we can see how our choices either get us there or not. Right. So when we do sin or when we do evil, it's we're we're deficient and diverging from what we were created to be. God, and this is what I hope you remember of all things, God doesn't give us free choice in a neutral way. We are not created neutral. No human person is, because no creature is. We are not neutral with regard to God. We are actually created towards Him, for Him. Which is why, when we are not moving towards Him, we—that's why sin is so bad. Because it's not just a—it's not. It's a violation of Him, certainly, but it's a violation of who we're created to be, and what we're created to be.